Our message today is titled, How is Faith Like Finding Waldo? And just because I'm a visual learner, and I know some of you might be a visual learner, I decided to dress the part today. So if somebody asks you what was the message on, you will remember it was something to do with Waldo. You might not remember what it was, but you'll remember it was something to do with Finding Waldo. And so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna unpack four really powerful stories from Luke chapter 7 that will help us to understand and to see why sometimes we find faith in Jesus where it is exercised in our lives. Yet sometimes we find faith only by trusting that God sees and loves us and is compassionate towards us in the midst of our hardship. Sometimes we find that our faith is tested when we don't see what we want to see. And lastly, faith that is found in knowing that we've been forgiven of our sins. Now, does anybody remember these Finding Waldo books? Maybe as a child. These came out in like maybe like 1988, I think something. This is where they started. You might have children. Your children might love these books. I loved these books when I was a child. I did not have I did not have one of these, but my bestie, Rhonda, she had one of these. So whenever I would go to her house, I would look at the Where's Waldo books. Now, you may not know this, but my bestie Rhonda, she's not in the service right now, but is actually Pastor Rhonda. She's my childhood best friend. We grew up together in St. Catharines, and then we ended up marrying other childhood best friends, both named Jason, from Ottawa. <laughs> A crazy story that we could definitely not have planned. Anyways, back to Where's Waldo. I loved these books. I thought the concept was brilliant. What you find, if you're not familiar, is this terribly crowded scene with all of these miniature people, and you had to search through the scene and try to find Waldo, who is dressed a little bit like me today. Jeans, a striped shirt, and a hat, and black glasses. And you'd have to search through, and every page was a different scene with different people, and again, the search began. How many of you are like me and you kind of love this kind of thing? Like you're like, yes, I could sit and I can do this. You love the search, you love the discovery. Now how many of you, I understand not everyone's like me, how many of you feel like this type of book was created to torture children and adults alike? You're out there, I know, I know. We're not all in love with the idea of search. But I have always had a deep satisfaction in finding something that is lost. I'm a big believer in my house, and I say this a lot, everything has a home. And if you put your stuff back in its home, you never, ever, ever lose it. Now, my children don't always follow this rule, and so sometimes my things are not in their home when I go to get them. Even though I've put them there, they're not there when I go back to get them. And I get great satisfaction, especially if it's something I need. Like, don't touch my chapstick. If you take my chapstick, and it is not where it is supposed to be, like, I am first sending the angry text message, then I'm storming into every single one of my kids' bedrooms, and I can usually find what I'm looking for there. One of them is the culprit. But I understand that not everybody finds a lot of sat satisfaction in finding things that are lost. For example, Jason is very different than me. If he loses something, 
he just goes and buys another one. It's the immediate response. He'll look very, a very short time, and as soon as he realizes, I don't know where this is, he will go and buy another one. And honestly, like, this is a good, like, this is a resourceful way of, of getting the things that you need. It doesn't take a lot of time. He's able to find what he's looking for, except for then we end up having several of the same things in the house. So if you ever need to borrow a screwdriver or a flashlight or picture hanging kit or just come and talk to me, we can help you out. Except Jason probably won't be able to find it to give it to you, but, <laughs> but we probably have several of them in the house. Now my kids are totally different when it comes to finding things. And maybe your kids are a little bit like this too. Like they'll just go into the refrigerator and they're like, mom, where's the milk? Are we out of milk? I'm like, no, we're not out of milk. The milk is in the exact same spot that it has been since we've had a refrigerator on the right side, the bottom shelf. It's always there. It never, ever moves. It's just hidden by a bag of lettuce or a bag of spinach or something else that's covering it. But if they cannot see it, it's got to be lost. Or how about this one? They'll come down and they'll say to me, mom, have you seen my hat? I can't find it. And I'm a good person to ask because I put things away. I usually know where things are. And if I say, no, I'm sorry, I haven't seen your hat, this inevitable search begins that looks like them wandering around the house looking in very random, like the pot cupboard, like random the, where the cups are. They're just like randomly opening drawers and cupboards, going around and doing a circle on our main floor, and then coming back and looking in the exact same place they already looked and I always just watch I just stand back and watch in awe like thinking you're not gonna find it in if you just keep in that oh I can't find it anywhere yeah okay <laughs> Anyways, today we're going to talk about how faith is like finding Waldo. It's the ultimate treasure hunt. Jesus described it in the Gospels like a pearl of great price, like finding a field with a life-altering life amount of money in it, worth everything you've ever acquired for your entire life to sell and buy and find this pearl of great price, this faith. Hebrews 11 describes faith as searching to find the assurance of things hoped for, leading us to hold a deep abiding conviction of unseen things. It's like a game of Where's Waldo, where each and every situation requiring the gift of faith is sort of unique, ever-changing, like a brand new scene playing out completely different from the one before. On every page, Waldo is right there, hidden in plain sight, always there, always in a different place, a different setting, but present to those who have eyes to see, the faith to believe that Waldo can be found and the patience to search for the evidence of the belief that you will find him. Now, faith is also unlike Where's Waldo, because a life of faith is not a game. It's a trust and belief that there is one greater than us who's with us, who's already at work in our story, who knows exactly what we need. Now, in the Gospels, again and again and again, we see Jesus chastising the disciples, saying to them, 
Where is your faith? Oh, you of little faith, how much longer must I remain with you before you will believe? You, you just see this over and over again in every story. Don't you know that I'm with you? And maybe you can relate to the disciples in this way. Maybe you hear sort of the voice of your father that says to you, oh child, haven't I proven my faithfulness to you yet? Where is your faith? Don't you believe that I'm with you? Don't you believe that I see you? Don't you believe that I have compassion for you? Maybe you can relate to how the disciples felt as Jesus comes along again and again and we find ourselves in a new situation, needing faith once more. You see, we drive ourselves crazy, needing to control all the outcomes of our life, but this great power of faith is the ability to provide assurance to us that God is with us no matter what happens. And I wanna settle something right here before we go any deeper. You see, faith is not like a genie in a bottle where we get to name and claim whatever we want. It's not just holding on to the promises of God that result only in my success, my health, my wealth, everything working out just the way I think it should according to my own definition. It's not hard to put faith in believing for something to work out for my benefit. No one plays the lottery without the faith to believe that they could win. If they didn't believe they could win, they wouldn't play, and yet millions and millions of people play it every single week. My own grandfather had great faith that he was going to win the lottery. He played it every single week of his life. He had plans for what he was gonna do with that money when he won, but he went to the grave, never winning the lottery. You see, sometimes having faith is not the issue. No, the issue is the desire that we put our faith in. What are we believing for? Where have we placed the weight of our trust? And see, Jesus was correcting the people again and again and again. And this was the correction. What is the source of your belief? No better yet, who is the source of your belief? You see, Jesus was leading the disciples and all who followed him to believe that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. The faith to believe that Jesus was who he claimed himself to be. And if he was who he claimed himself to be, then he had the authority to do whatever it is that he said that he would do. You see, Jesus is the living word, which means reading this book is how we build our faith in Jesus. And I wanna encourage you, as I always do, to bring your Bible to church, open it up as we open the scriptures, highlight, follow along, check back throughout the week at the stories we're unpacking on Sunday. Over the next three years, we're going on a Bible reading journey together through the scriptures. And if you're a part of that, amazing. We love that you're digging in, and if you're not, you can start today because we're reading starting tomorrow Luke chapter 6 to 15 this week Monday to Friday two chapters a day so if you haven't started you can start there that's the beauty of the Bible you can just open it up and start exactly in any chapter and then begin to read so I invite you join us starting tomorrow reading Luke chapter 6 and 7 two chapters a day each day this week now if 
if you have your Bibles here today, I want you to put them in your hand for a second. And if you don't, and you read your Bible on your phone, you can put your phone in your hand for a minute. And I want you to repeat something that Pastor Barry did for many, many, many years, and I love it. I love it still to this day because it's powerful, and our words have power. And I want you to repeat, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'm ready to receive into my life the ever-living, the everlasting, the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Holy Spirit, speak to my heart and change my life. Amen. I love it. As we park in Luke chapter seven today, we're gonna unpack some incredible examples and stories of faith. But first, we wanna look at how Jesus is setting up these stories and miracles. In chapter six, Luke chapter six with the Sermon on the Mount. You see, faith is believing in Jesus and living completely opposite to the way of the day. This message that Jesus was bringing was not so attractive. It's not as enticing as if I were to tell you today that God only wants you to be successful and he only wants you to prosper. Hear me today, God does want you to be successful and he does want you to prosper and he does want good for you because he is only good. But God's definition of success and prosperity is different than what the people of the day wanted and it's different than what you and I would define today. And so the question for us today is will we allow Jesus and the word of God to define what it means to be successful and to prosper and to have good in our life. I think that we can agree that when we place our faith in success and prosperity as the world defines, that we build our lives on shifting sand because the definition of success is always changing. It always shifts right there underneath us. Luke um, chapter six talks about God wanting blessing for us, but the definition is very different than what we would imagine it is, and I'm gonna paraphrase it for you right now. Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those that are hungry now. Blessed are those that weep now. Blessed are you when people hate you because of Jesus. You see, Jesus isn't saying that if you're poor or hungry or if you're sad and crying or if you're hated, that that automatically means you're inherently blessed. No, he's saying when you recognize that you have need of a savior, then you can receive all the blessings that come from our King Jesus. Everything that he gives us is abundant life, salvation, freedom, all of that is available to us when we walk and we allow ourselves, our success to be defined according to the scriptures. You see, when we build our lives on the rock that is Jesus, then we build our lives on a constant. We build our lives on something that does not shift and change, which means we can survive the storms that life brings our way. 
You see, this message of faith, it runs so much deeper than just what can God do for you and having the faith to believe that God can do for you what you want him to do for you. It's not like playing the lottery, just believing you're gonna win. No, faith is so much deeper than just having your prayers answered or even seeing miracles or signs and wonders. Jesus performed so many miracles and signs and wonders in his day and yet people watched and saw and were astonished, yet they left unchanged. They still did not believe that he was the Messiah and that he had come to offer them salvation, a gift, a treasure far greater than anything they could ever, ever, ever find on their own. You see, faith is believing that Jesus is who he says he is. It's believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Faith is believing and following in Jesus' way is the only way to truth and life. And faith is believing that Jesus' way is truth that leads us to the life, the only life our soul truly longs for. And so I'm gonna invite you to open up your Bibles now to Luke chapter seven as we read about the faith of the centurion. So Luke opens up chapter seven with a story where Jesus finds himself surprised at the faith that he encounters. Now, Jesus is not often described as surprised in scripture, but this shows us that Jesus was always looking for the treasure of faith, the seed of faith in those he ministered to. He didn't see it often, so he was surprised when he found it, but he was watching for it, like finding Waldo in a sea of thousands of others who couldn't yet see who he really was. And in our story today, Jesus enters Capernaum when some Jewish leaders approach him on behalf of a Roman centurion, a military leader who oversees about a hundred men. And this is so interesting because um, Israel was under the oppression of Rome at the time. The centurion had a servant that was gravely ill, someone he cared about and loved very, very much. And it's so interesting that the Jewish leaders are advocating for a Roman centurion. This Roman centurion had earned the trust of the Jewish people because he was in good faith with the elders of the day for what he had done for the nation of Israel. And this little detail in the story is a glimpse of this unexpected way that Jesus is inviting people into, into the new kingdom that he is bringing. And I'm gonna read for you from Luke chapter seven, verse four, all the way to verse 10. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him for he loves our nation and he's the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And then this is the centurion. He says, therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been there, when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. You see, living in this kingdom is trusting that our king can do what our king can do. 
And this is precisely what Jesus marveled at. You see, this centurion man, he never studied the law. He didn't know anything about the Jewish faith, the religious rules. He did not follow them. He did not believe them. Yet he grasped the very center of the Jewish faith, that the one true God, the God of Israel, was the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. And the most shocking part was that he believed that this one true God was present and active in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Luke presents this Gentile as a model of all who will come to faith by sharing in the blessings and the salvation from that day forward. This was a pathway for you and I to receive this good news. Now there's another incredible layer to this display of faith, and this was the centurion's understanding of authority. The Roman centurion knew that Jesus was who he said he was, therefore anything he wanted to do would happen. He believed that Jesus had authority over sickness, and he had faith that exactly what Jesus said would happen, would happen. And I want you to catch this nuance today. The faith that was on display in this story is not about the outcome. It was an unwavering belief in the authority of Jesus. The centurion didn't come to Jesus and say, you know, if I win the lottery, then I'll know you, you're, you're, you're real. I'll know you are the son of God. He didn't say, if you heal my servant, I'll know and I'll believe. No, he said and spoke who Jesus was and believed in his authority before he ever saw any outcome or result of the prayer and the petition that he was bringing to Jesus. You see, when our faith is rooted in an outcome of my own uh, benefit, then our faith is rooted on shifting sand because we may or we may not see the outcome we're hoping for. And then we fall prey to thinking and believing that Jesus has failed us, but Jesus never fails. And this reminded me of something that Pastor Jason touched on very quickly last week that was so profound, and I don't know if you caught it, He showed us a $100 bill, and he said, what gives the bill value is the authority of what is backing the bill. It's not the paper, it's not even the pictures or the history of those particular people that are on the bill. It's the authority of what is behind the bill that gives it worth and value. You see, this Roman centurion understood in this moment that Jesus was who he said he was. Therefore, he could trust what he said. He understood authority, and he understood the authority that Jesus had as the Messiah. The reason you and I are often people of little faith is because we continually place our trust and our faith in things that lack the authority to deliver the value that we place on them. When we place our faith in Jesus, that he is who he claimed himself to be, that he has the authority to forgive sins, to heal the sick, we then are backed by his authority. This is what is behind our faith. The authority of scripture comes in believing that Jesus is who he said he is. Therefore, we can trust and believe that what he said is true. You see, sometimes we find faith in Jesus where it's exercised in our lives, like the Roman centurion who understood authority because he was a man exercising authority. 
Now we use the word sometimes intentionally because just as we find Waldo in one place on one page doesn't mean that he's gonna be found in the same place on another page. We see Jesus in our next story um, in ministering to a widow who has now lost her son. You see, faith is not a formula. It's a trusted relationship with our king. And so it looks different depending on the circumstance that we're walking. Jesus now is no longer in Capernaum, yet he and his disciples um, and a crowd of people are in a town called Nain, about five miles southeast of Nazareth. And I'm gonna read from verse 12 to 17 of Luke chapter seven. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who has died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. And then he came up and he touched the bier and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them and they glorified God saying a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people and this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. You see, in this story, there's no outward expression or exercising of faith. Jesus sees a widow who has lost her son and he has compassion on her. Compassion was the motivation for this miracle as Jesus continues to establish his authority for those who have eyes to see it. Now, we wanna do something just a little bit different. Let's let the particulars of that story fall away for a moment. And I wanna ask you a question to reflect on right here in the service. I wanna ask you, do you believe that Jesus sees you and is compassionate towards you? When you look at your circumstance, when you look at what you're going through or what you've been through, do you believe that Jesus sees you, he loves you, and he's compassionate towards you? I want you just, even just in your mind for a minute, just imagine yourself in place of this widow. This widow who's been through a lot of hardship and has now lost her son. And I want you to put your story, your circumstance, your loss, your grief, your hardship in the middle of this story. And I want you to imagine this person of Jesus coming into your story and showing you compassion, showing you love, being moved towards you by compassion, seeing you in your circumstance, in your trial, in your hardship. And if as you're doing this and you're just inviting this picture in your mind, you still have a hard time believing that Jesus is compassionate towards you, I wanna ask you why. Just think about why. What has happened in your life that has become a greater truth than the truth that Jesus is compassionate towards you, that he sees you 
and he loves you. And I wanna just invite you to make an exchange today. Would you consider letting go whatever that circumstance, that trial, that disappointment, that thing that's blocking you from seeing how much Jesus loves you? Would you consider laying that down and receiving a higher truth that Jesus is with you? You see, I don't want to um, diminish your story in any way. I know the things that have happened have been hard and they're true. But there is a higher truth that comes above our circumstance that we can anchor ourselves to. And so I'm inviting you into that space today. Because sometimes we find faith in Jesus where it's exercised in our lives. And other times we find that faith only by trusting that God is with us, that he sees us and he's compassionate towards us in the midst of our hardship. You see, our faith does not rest in an outcome. It resides in the truth that we're never alone. Let's see where Jesus takes us next as we keep moving through Luke chapter seven. The story sort of takes a different turn, but so interesting what we can learn about faith. I'm gonna read verse 18 to 23. The disciples of John reported all these things to him and John calling two of his disciples to him sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who has come or shall we look for another? This is John the Baptist that's asking Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one who has come or should we look for another? Are you really are who you say you are? Jesus replies down in verse 22 and he says, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by the disciples. What an interesting thing. Why would anyone be offended by the blind seeing and the lame walking and the lepers being cleansed and the deaf hearing and the dead being raised or the poor having good news preached to them? You see, Jesus has come and, and, and many people have begun to be impacted by this work that he's doing. Those who have benefited from his miracles and his deliverance and his salvation and this seed of faith is starting to take root. But faith cannot be rooted in what we think that Jesus should do for us because when we do this, then we are offended when he doesn't do what we think he should do. Our faith in Jesus is a revelation that he is who he has claimed himself to be. And John the Baptist is being challenged by this very thing. You see, he's in prison and he wants reformation for his people. He wants justice. He wants to overthrow the Roman Empire and he wants to be part of it all. He's even questioning, Jesus, are you, are you really the one or is, is there someone else that's going to come? Are you really the one who's gonna rescue Israel from oppression? Are you really the one who you claim yourself to be? And he's questioning based on his own circumstances because things are not going according to the way that John thought they were gonna go. He wants to know, am I gonna get out of jail? Am I gonna get to be a part of this? You know, our circumstances have the potential to impact and influence our faith in Jesus. And in short, Jesus responds to John and he says, yes, I am the Christ, but the outcome for you is not going to be like that of a healed servant 
or like that of a son being raised. No, John is going to lose his life. You see, sometimes we find faith in Jesus where it's exercised in our lives, but other times we find faith by trusting that God sees and loves us and has compassion towards us in the midst of our hardship. And sometimes our faith is tested when we don't see what we wish to see. And in these times of testing, the snare of offense against God is real and present. Our faith can be tested when we get what we don't deserve in this life. And I know that this is so true and so lived for many of us today. But it is also true that our faith can be ignited when in life we receive what we don't deserve. This is Luke's final story in chapter seven. Jesus finds himself having a meal at Simon the Pharisee's home. And during the meal, a woman of the city who is a sinner disturbs the dinner party. Verse 38 says, standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. You see, Jesus even allowing this sinful woman to get close to him like this is heightening Simon's mistrust of Jesus. Simon is questioning Jesus's authority in his heart. And Jesus knows this, and so he tells him a parable. It's a fictional story, but it's describing exactly what is taking place in real time. And it goes like this. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered into your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, Jesus isn't saying to Simon, in order to discover my grace, in order to receive my grace, go and be like this woman and sin way more. No, he's pointing out that this woman is clear on who she is and what she has done and being clear of her sin and being clear of her identity as a sinner. She sees her need for a savior. She sees Jesus as a savior. Yet Simon, on the other hand, is unclear of who he is because he's blinded by his own self-righteousness. He's unclear of his identity because he can't see himself clearly. He can't see Jesus. He can't see what Jesus came to bring him. Tom Wright says, for Luke, true faith is what happens when someone looks at Jesus and discovers God and his forgiveness and the sign and proof, proof of this faith is love. Isn't it so true? And it's why we talk and teach about Jesus so much. It's because the heart of the gospel is to look at Jesus and have a revelation of all that is in this book from cover to cover all of the character of who God is and the authority that comes from believing in that. 
So how is faith today like finding Waldo? Well, like the Roman centurion, faith is found in who Jesus was and what he can do and the trust that he has the authority to heal. Like the widow who lost her son, faith is found in the truth that Jesus loves us and is compassionate towards us and sees us. Like John the Baptist, faith is found in the promise that God is with us, especially when things don't turn out the way that we hoped or prayed. And like the sinful woman, faith is found in the reality that we have been forgiven of much. And so today, if you are one of little faith, if you struggle to believe and trust in the authority of Christ and the authority of scripture, today you can receive new life. If you're like Simon and you have placed your faith in your own self-righteousness or in what you believe God should do for you, or if you're like the widow or John and you're walking through an imaginable trial and things are not turning out the way that you imagined they would, I have good news for you today. It starts just with a simple prayer, a simple prayer that goes like this. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And if that's you today, you can just say that under your breath right now. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And receive today the faith that comes from having your sins forgiven. Let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, we declare today that we believe Oh Lord, would you help our unbelief? Holy Spirit, help us to anchor our life to the authority of Christ. We cast down all false beliefs that are rooted in shifting sand. Lord, forgive us of all of our sins and fill us instead with so much love that comes from your spirit within us. We place the weight of our identity in you, Jesus, in belonging to you, in being seen and loved by you, God. We believe that you are who you have declared yourself to be. We believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world, the Word made flesh who is with us. And we submit to your authority in our lives. We are so thankful that your kingdom authority is behind all that we believe and all that we are. In the mighty and the holy name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said, amen.